You are now tuned in to the Believe Podcast Network. Do you believe? This is Superlative, a podcast about watches, the people behind them, and the worlds that inspire them. Spending time with the Blog to Watch community and the stories we discover. Let's get started. Hey everyone, Ariel Abs here with the Superlative Podcast. I am joined by a blog to watch Zach Pina. Hey Zach. Hey Ariel, thanks so much for having me. So today we're going to talk about the phenomenon of buying a watch, a luxury watch mainly, sight unseen online. I don't know about you, but I am someone that basically got into watch collecting through the internet, bought most of my first watches sight unseen still feel comfortable knowing how to evaluate a watch remotely and buying it. But this has new salience today, especially because of the pandemic, where less and less people are going to watch stores. Watch retailers weren't sort of doing so well before that. And now we have sort of an acceleration of the move to doing more and more luxury purchases online. And so I just wanted to have a chat with you about, you know, what is it that someone can do to make themselves feel comfortable buying an expensive watch, hundreds, thousands, several thousands, many thousands of dollars without <laughs> ever seeing it. Um, just the first question, is this something that you think is considerably worrying to a lot of consumers, buying a watch they've never seen before? Boy, I think I, I think it really depends on your sort of experience in the space. If it's your first watch, if 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 you're after your first nice watch, um, you know, I spent a ton of time on the forums, and and I would say I bought my first nice watch without ever having tried it on in the store. Um, I was I was going after a um, it was a it was a a Tudor Pelagos. And I remember that I spent a ton of time reading about it. And at the time when I bought it, you couldn't, they weren't available in the US anyway. So it was going to be a sight unseen purchase. I found somebody on the forums that had just imported one. Um, and I was able to buy it off of him immediately after he imported it and decided it wasn't for him. And what was interesting about it though was, I mean, I, I spent a ton of time reading whoever had, had published stories and photos online in the forums and um, you know, some of the, some of the other online spaces, but you know, those spaces really weren't quite as robust as they are now, I would say. And, yeah. um, yeah. And, and so, I mean, it was, it was a very, uh, I wouldn't say uncomfortable, but I definitely remember when I sent PayPal money to a perfect stranger. I mean, it was a, you know, <laughs> at, at that point I'd, I'd bought plenty of things, um, plenty of things online without, you know, um, clothes and these shoes and these types of things. But this was the first time where I was I was sending it to a, a, a private seller. Um, and I'd never tried the watch on. I'd kind of not really sure what to expect. And I think it's it was a big it was a big leap for me then. And now, you know, my the process is a lot more truncated, as I'm sure yours is, because once you have a general idea of the specs and how something could potentially be interesting, we sort of know you sort of know what what fits and what works. And, and, um, you kind of, you kind of have a baseline set of expectations, but back then I didn't know how that case was going to wear. I didn't know how the madness of it was going to feel on the wrist. I mean, there's all these criteria that you don't really fully understand until you've tried a lot of watches. Yeah. There's, there's an enormous amount of unknowns and there's two issues involved in buying a watch site unseen. The first issue I think is a little bit more obvious to people. And that is security. Like you said, mm -hmm. um, you had to find, essentially a stranger, send them money on PayPal, and in good faith, just hope that this was a responsible individual that would send you what you bought. The second issue is, assuming the transaction goes well and everything is, is fine and legit, do you even like the watch? If you buy a watch from another person who owns it, there's no return policy. I guess mm -hmm. maybe they might accept it back. <laughs> For the most part, you buy it, it's yours, you don't like it, you got to sell it again. And then on top of all that, you mentioned putting in the hours, the time that is required to do the research, to read. Mm -hmm. And when you and I got into watches, yes, there was less information, but I think what's important is that it was more, it was more authentic. It was less biased, perhaps. It was like you said, the forums are, you know, watch lovers who talk about their own purchases now. You look at the combination of forums, social media, blogs. Mm -hmm. You have this combination of authentic content, marketing content, influencer content, 
and just, you know, plain ignorance and everything in between, <laughs> it's a it's kind of a minefield out there. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I mean, it absolutely is. I think the flip side to it, though, is that, you know, now now that we actually have the full breadth of choice. And so, I, I mean, I do in my kind of cursory research, if I'm interested in something, um, I kind of have a process now. Like I can see what people are saying on the forums. And quite frankly, the forums are really not the most active place for these types of things anymore. Um, I will check. So one of the first things I do is I go to a brand's, a brand's own Instagram page and I check photos that people have tagged of the brand to see if the watch that I'm interested in is kind of listed in their feed somewhere just to see how it wears and how other people have it and sort of, I, you know, because you kind of want to envision the contexts in which, you know, this watch is being kind of used. Um, and then I also read about it on, you know, sites like our own and, um, you know, other, other watch media just to see sort of how it's been covered or perceived or to see better photos of it. Oftentimes, you know, you won't get the best photos of something from a brand's marketing material. So now, you know, it is kind of nice because I do feel like even though some of the opinions that you can see might be marketing or they might be contrived or they might be influencers, it does allow you to paint a more I would say three-dimensional picture of the product that you're trying to buy or, or interested in buying as opposed to the forums where oftentimes you would really only get opinions of something if it was really good or really, really bad. Because again, it's very passion-based and people generally don't disparage things that they've personally spent a lot of money on. So that is kind of the nice authentic thing about the forums is that people bought stuff. You knew that the people that were on the forums generally bought stuff, but they also didn't really speak negatively about things that they had bought unless they broke and had a, yeah, there's a like negative a experience with the brand or something. Very special kind of collector <laughs> who can say, I just spent about much. all this money and I'm going <laughs> to criticize it. I think one of the things that you and I take for granted is we started being watch lovers when we had to make a lot of our own decisions about things. I was speaking to a collector yesterday on the phone, actually, and he was lamenting the fact that until we actually pointed it out in some of our blog to watch articles, he didn't realize that his entire desires were being sort of fed to him through like the selective amount of watches that are that, you know, Instagram shows you and some of these like must have lists, you know, and, and Reddit and things like that. He had realized that, you know, two, three years into being a watch collector, Everything he was buying was because someone else said it was cool and it ultimately mm -hmm. left him feeling unsatisfied until he started being able to make up his own mind about things. And I don't want to harp on that too much, but there is a big danger out of listening to other people when they tell you what you should get. You should, you mm -hmm. should hear what they care about. You should definitely see the way they talk about watches. But there's such a large variety of watches out there that can be personal to your tastes to your anatomy, to your budget. I don't really think there's much of a case out there to say, buy what other people are buying. Mm -hmm. Well, so that that honestly is one of my favorite things about sort of the rise of proper e-commerce within the Swiss luxury space. Because before now, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky enough to live in the San Francisco Bay Area where we actually have access to, I mean, there's, there's a number of very high-end boutiques and pretty much every major brand, um, you know, has some representation within a, a 10 or a 15 mile radius of kind of where I'm based. But, you know, before, even if that were not the case, my only real access to these products would be finding them on the internet, essentially, and finding them from, you know, from private sellers from the forums who are interested in offloading stuff. And like, to your point earlier that you made, I mean, there is, there's a considerable time expense, and there's a considerable risk incurred by trying something. I mean, I've definitely bought watches off the forums that had problems that were not either known or not disclosed by the seller. And I didn't, you know, you don't have you don't have retail protection in a sense. You can't go. Yeah, there's can't no return. Take, take it back to the boutique, and I have to deal with it. I have to service it, and then I have to resell it if I, you know, if I'm not going to hang on to it. Um, and that's that's absolutely a risk, and that's a risk that you take, and you may pay less for the product if you're buying it pre-owned. But I feel like that risk is baked into those cost savings, and I feel like that's one thing that people don't quite understand. Is they're like, well, the street value of this watch is X, and it's selling at this boutique for Y, and I'm like. Well, at the same time, if you ever have a problem with it, you go straight to the boutique and they, you know, they'll take care of you and and, and you pay for that. That's that's part of the service cost. Yeah. So one thing that I really <laughs> love about the the proper e-commerce buying experience is, you know, we'll we'll talk about this in a little bit, but the, the story that I ran a couple of weeks ago, um, you know, about buying directly from brand e-com channels is that you have that buyer protection. And also, 
really easy returns. So suddenly we have access to impulse shopping. We're like, I kind of want to try this on. There's no risk. I'm going to try it on. I'm going to wear it around the house as though it were a pair of sneakers. And then I'll send it back at the end of the week if I don't like it. Yeah. That's amazing. But that's such an important point to stress because you have multiple purchase options online right now. And we'll have like the cheapest price and the most expensive price. And the truth is that oftentimes with the most expensive price, you get certain privileges like being able to return it. With the cheapest price, it's very much caveat emptor. You don't know who you're buying it from. You don't really know what it is. Even if it's in perfect condition, you don't like it, you have absolutely no recourse. And so doing things like going to some of the, you know, the still functioning forums, there's not that many of them left, and buying something um, from somebody, you have to be like an investigator. You got to look mm-hmm. at those pictures damn carefully. <laughs> you got to like read what they say, ask yourself, what are they not saying? Maybe e- email the, back and forth with them for a while. Like it's a lot of effort yeah. to give yourself that best price. And you are basically yeah. losing some amount of money in the in your hours. Everyone's time is valuable. You put in Absolutely. six hours to do research, you know, maybe it's worth spending a few extra hundred dollars, maybe 5,000 more dollars. Okay, I'll put in six hours of time. Absolutely. And how much is your time worth? Yeah, it's it's (laughs) worth something. So I think at the end of the day, yeah. But it's scary because a lot of people who are newer to this, they get stopped. Like we've done a lot of research on this and we found that the watch industry with, you know, help from a blog to watch for sure, does a good job of informing people about watches and getting them curious about it and maybe wanting to buy it. But that last step where they say, okay, I want to buy this watch. And then they go on Google and they do a search for the watch and like a bazillion options comes up. Many people just halt in their tracks right there and say, whoa, 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 I do not have enough skill or information to know how to proceed. And that's slowly going away. And I think that, you know, through your article where we showcased the experience of buying online officially from the brand is a step in the direction of making that more comfortable. That's Again, tell me if you disagree, but that's a good thing generally for consumers, that the brands directly are are being involved in the direct-to-consumer sales space. Oh, it's an extremely good thing. And I think, I mean, I, I definitely understand the risk, right? Like historically speaking, you know, the article touches on this a little bit. We'll, uh, provided we've got the ability to, we'll, we'll link to the story in the, 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 um, the show notes. But the article touches on this and that the traditional Swiss, Swiss luxury watch buying experience is an experience. You go into the boutique and you get the champagne, you sit in a leather chair and you, you know, you talk shop with the hopefully people who are also equally passionate about watches, although you and I probably can attest the fact that's not always true. Um, but it's an experience, right? And I don't, you know, like many people, we, not everybody has time for that anymore. And, and the really, you know, it's, it's, I feel like it's kind of a cliche to even say at this point, but like the real luxury to me, in my opinion, is time. And for those that don't have time for that or don't have the access for it, um, I think really the, the the new luxury in this era that we're kind of going into is access, access to brands, access to interesting products, the speed at which you can access those things, um, the amount of time of your personal time that is not wasted. All of those things, I think, have a cost attached to them, which is, you know, you can't necessarily haggle online, which, you know, was a comment that came up a lot in the story. But at the same time, like, I think it's not a this, it, it, this is not a this equals that situation. It's a this or that situation. And one of those situations costs more simply because uh, you are accessing a different level of, it's, it's a different kind of luxury. I think it's time versus the experience. And to me, the experience was never very important. And being able to do my own research, but ultimately just having it delivered directly to my door um, without me having to get on a ferry and go to the city and go to the boutique and sit down and kind of do the whole thing. Like that was never... But to the traditionalists, so, yeah, it's a very different story. You and I, you know... We're in California, we're Americans. Luxury is comfort and convenience for us in a lot of ways. But if you study how a lot of the luxury brands used to sell, luxury was actually, you know, they use the word exclusivity. That didn't just mean exclusive items and, and, you know, like exclusive numbers. It literally meant this item is hard to get. You had to travel to the right store in the right city, sometimes make an appointment, go in there. Um, it took time. 
you know, when they say the experience, people think like, oh, it's a pretty decor and somebody serves you champagne. It's actually more than that. The experience was the <laughs> challenge required to actually go ahead and get this item. And, right. you know, one of the things I want to r- remind people of is, you know, you said yourself, you're in the Bay Area, you have access to a lot of stores. Many, many times, if you actually want to buy a lot of the watches that are available today and you want to see it in person, you can't. Buying an online site and yeah. is your only option. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's that's that is ultimately the great irony because you'll. I mean, this is this is actually this is actually topical. Uh, I was in the city. I was in San Francisco for a shoot uh, just a couple of weeks ago, actually. And um, and this is this is kind of my general boutique experience. Is I, I very rarely ever go to a watch place specifically to go to a watch place. It's usually like, oh, hey, this place is over here. I'll stop in. You know. You're running through Heathrow between flights. Oh, hey, here's an Omega boutique, or you're in Vegas for JCK or whatever, and you know, like there's there's a boutique in the, the the first floor of your hotel. That's kind of been my experience. But in this particular instance, I walked into a a prominent store in San Francisco, and I was like, well, maybe I'll try this piece on if they happen to have it. And of course, they didn't. Of course, they didn't have it. And they were like, but we can order it for you, so you can try it on. I'm like, you know what? I can order it too. <laughs> And I can send it back. I can do that myself. And yeah, I just, I, I hate that. Uh, it's, it's just so funny that that's sort of the, the response is like, if you're going to have a physical space, I get it that it's difficult to keep everything in stock. But at the same time, that's literally the one, the one chance you have to either capture a sale or keep that customer in the store for a little bit longer is to like have the thing that they're looking for. Because um, otherwise, yeah, we can all order it. You can order it. <laughs> you know, like I can probably get it to my house faster than they can get it to the boutique. So <laughs> yeah, there's like a funny blend of that, which happens. And what it is essentially is people make the decision of what they want to buy online after doing their own research and making up their own mind. And then, like you said, they order it from the store and they go and they pick it out just to make sure they're absolutely right. happy with it. But <laughs> most of the hard work has already been done by them online and barring yep. some major issue that comes up. That they'll they'll actually buy the watch, so that is that is a hybrid approach that people can take. It's definitely very popular, but the irony is they're already having purchased something by the time they go to the store, or they already know what they want to get. They're not browsing and saying, "Oh, I didn't hear about this model." They're sort of like they're like laser guided to that one thing, and anything else in the store they more or less ignore, which I think is interesting. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, I've definitely, it's, it's, it's funny because I've definitely ignored certain references from some brands and been super laser focused on some collections or singular pieces. And then come back to that same brand numerous years later and been like, wow, I can't believe I, I didn't even notice or think about this piece at all. It's, it's just, everybody's on kind of a different, uh, a different part of their collecting or watch enthusiast journey. And oftentimes like whatever chapter of your journey you're on, you're just you're focused on dive watches or you're focused on dress watches or you're focused on, you know, whatever, whatever that may be. And you miss a lot of the cool stuff. And I think that's what makes this whole thing so fun though, is that like knowing that you're on a journey and knowing that there's a lot of things that you don't know, it gives us stuff to kind of look forward to, I think in a cool way. So that was also what was so fun about this particular article was that, you know, it was kind of a chance to go carte blanche into some of these brands whose stuff I maybe wouldn't, purchase or chase kind of on my own just to get a sense of one, you know, what their own individual brand values were and two, what their, how they kind of translated that experience. But it also let me step into the shoes of like, uh, Hey, what if I just had 10 grand chilling on this credit card? to like, just go frivolously blow on watches, like without too much, without, without indulging my own usual process, which is like very time intensive and research intensive and also involves a fair amount of risk. Like it was it was very cool to essentially impulse buy five watches. Yeah, um, you know, and I impulse buy other stuff. I mean, we all spend time on Amazon or Nike.com or or whatever. Um, and I definitely have my vices with with in other segments, but you know, a watch for most folks is not an impulse buy. And for those who it is, um, I mean, this is absolutely the, the the best and easiest way to do it because. It was fast and pain-free, and and uh, and it was easy to return everything. So I mean, it felt like a very low risk. So you're saying, so you're saying, buying from the brand directly is the most convenient way. I mean, yeah, and and not only is it convenient, I just think again, like when you look at the time cost paradigm, 
and how busy everybody is. And, you know, what are, what are the things that you value? I mean, oftentimes people value the personal connection. I mean, I definitely have good friends who run uh, jewelry stores. I mean, the, Rob is a good friend of mine at Topper Jewelers down in the South Bay. And I never miss a chance to go check in with Rob and say hi and like see what's new. But I very rarely go to the store to try stuff on because, um, you know, so for me in that particular instance, it's about kind of a personal relationship with good watch people, fellow watch enthusiasts. Um, and I think if, if, if a personal relationship or a personal interaction is not important to you and you, you know, you really, you're coming from this purely from a, a watch enthusiast point of view, like, I mean, e-commerce is, is a godsend. You, you could also be a type of person that even if you want that personal experience, you just haven't formed one yet. There isn't that store in your area. Absolutely. Um, I think, you know, when you go to the, the, the stores, as official websites or the, the brands, as official web stores, you, you have these pictures that are so doctored, you know, these beautiful marketing images. I think one of the things you quickly realize, and we've learned this long, long ago, is the images the brands create for the watches, even if they're originally based on real photography, they're so doctored, they don't really end up looking <laughs> like the final product. And so yeah. <laughs> you can't just rely on their website to make a decision. You're going to have to go to places like a blog to watch where we have the original photography and stuff like that. So now I want to talk a little bit about some nuts and bolts strategy for, okay, you want to buy a watch online or sight unseen or whatever it is. What are some of the things you should do? What are the steps you should take to make sure that you've you've done it the obliged to watch way? Like how would Zach and Ariel do it to make sure that they're like reasonably comfortable and putting down money for this? Um, so why don't you start with some of the top things you do or most important things you think anyone should do before they make such a decision? And this would be this would be whether you purchase it. This would be for purchasing purchasing it sight unseen. And yeah. maybe we maybe we want to let's let's maybe steer people away from the the high risk. <laughs> I think I think you know buying on the forums is great, but I I, I feel like I, I I don't recommend buying on the forums to anyone until they've been a part of those forums, <laughs> been a part of those communities, and kind of understand how they work and made some friends there and. Um, so maybe we won't recommend that because there's risk involved. And so sight unseen directly from a brand or from a third party retailer. How about? <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, there's, there's <laughs> always going to be ways to buy watches from other, um, owners and we call that peer to peer transactions. And it's probably the way you get the best price, right? There's no middlemen, da, 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 da. Mm -hmm. With that said, definitely the highest risk. Um, I've ha I've been, I've been defrauded. Thankfully it wasn't very expensive transaction. A lot of other people I know. It's not common, but you can get yourself into a very high risk situation very, very fast. I still think, like you said, for the most part, people should buy from a retailer that has that cares something about, you know, customer service, reputation, mm -hmm. is accountable. Mm -hmm. That's a good mm -hmm. way. But still, that doesn't help you make a decision because even if you go to those brands' website, you're not going to get enough information to allow you to say, you might like the story, you might like the design, but the idea is what are some things people should do in order to, to say, okay, I'm interested in this watch. How do I feel comfortable about getting it? How do I decide this might be a watch for me? Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the very first thing is, um, you know, I've, I mean, I'm sure you've recommended lots of watches to people and also like people ask for your opinion on various things. And oftentimes the thing that somebody is chasing, the thing that, that their heart or their gut is pushing them towards. It might not be the most popular thing on the forums or it might not be the most popular thing on Instagram, but we say this to everybody. We say, buy what you like. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, like I've definitely, I've definitely wanted something and then felt like I should get something that was not the thing that I wanted because this is early on, you know, I, I just felt like it, you know, you, you, you want, you want to get something that, uh, I mean, other people think is cool or whatever, whatever it is at your, whatever stage you're at in your collecting kind of journey. We've all been victim. Many of us have been victim to that. Like maybe we don't get what we wanted the first time around. And what I think is really important is trust your gut and buy what you like, because it's really, you know, when you go to collector meetups and you hang out with other people, you know, hopefully we can do that again at some point. Um, you can really tell the people that have bought what they like versus the people that have bought what they think I like. Yeah. And a, it's a very different type of conversation with that person. And um, yeah, I mean, it's really easy to sniff out who's there for themselves, who's there for the passion, who's there 
to try to get the attention of other people. Yeah, there's like these weird collector wannabes. Like totally, apparently yeah. the lifestyle of being a watch collector is in vogue, which I find <laughs> kind of amusing. But there's like, there's posers out there. So there's people that are genuinely really into watches and make up their own decisions. And then there's people that want to look like they're that. I, again, I'm, I don't understand the psychological satisfaction they get out of pretending to be a watch collector, but there's enough of them out there, especially on Instagram, that you could be wary about who you're getting advice from. I, I totally agree with you. Sure, for sure. But buy what you like, buy what you like. That's the first thing. And once you've gotten past that hurdle, I feel like you know that to me kind of clears the way for being able to try something because I've, I've definitely bought what I liked a lot of times and it didn't always work out, but I was happy that I tried it because I feel like that can serve as a reference point for something later. And oftentimes you know, we, we simply just haven't tried enough stuff to kind of know. And one thing that can really help you understand what you like is, um, you know, comparing it to other, other watches that you've owned in the past, but also, you know, again, going directly back to a blog to watch, I feel like one thing that we've always worked really, really hard to do over the years, and this is something that you've kind of set the tone for is, you know, we want to, we want to take great photographs of beautiful watches, but at the same time, we also want to show how those watches look and feel in pretty natural settings. You know, we're not trying to, we're not trying to, we're not trying to shoot marketing shots. We're not trying to shoot, um, you know, it's not every time you get a watch that comes across your desk, it's not a lifestyle beauty shoot. It's a, how does this, how is this going to make you feel? How is it going to wear? What is it? How tall is it? How wide is it? I mean, there, there are some very rudimentary um, details of the piece that I think are really important to know. And I think it's very difficult to buy something sight unseen without at least knowing how it wears. And I think there are some key metrics that we at a blog to watch do our absolute best to provide when we have the physical measurements with us or we can kind of put a caliper to the watch. But knowing the measurements because nothing kills a sight unseen watch faster than it shows up at your door and you bust open the package and you put it on and you're like, oh wow, this is this I've made a terrible mistake. <laughs> All right. So let, let's let's talk about those nuts and bolts right there because you bring up some amazing points and, and thank you for asserting, you know, the 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 lifelong mission of a blog to watch and that is to help consumers make decisions about a watch sight unseen. That's actually how we started. And that's always been my thought process when I write a review is what, what information does someone need that's the next best thing to actually seeing it in person? So let's go over a list of a couple of things. The first and most important thing, like you said, is size. Okay. Everyone's anatomy is different. Everyone's wrist shape is different. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, you're going to have to sample a little bit to know what works for you. But once you generally know what fits on your wrist, and of course, you should do measurements, for example, the the length of your wrist, meaning sort of like the from from one edge to another, that's mm-hmm. that's a very important. I guess you call it the diameter of your wrist. That's super mm-hmm. important to know. Measure a watch to make sure that it doesn't exceed your wrist. If it goes over your wrist, or maybe it's too small. Like Zach said, when you get it in the mail and you put it on, you're going to be disappointed because maybe it looked great, you know, off the wrist, on the wrist. It's very different. So knowing the sizes that work for you between about, I'll say, 38 and 42 millimeters works for like 95% of wrists, <laughs> okay? So I, I happen to find the 40 to 42 millimeter is like my sweet spot. Some people like a little bit bigger. Uh, there's people like smaller. It's really related to your anatomy. There is no appropriate watch size, okay? If, it's, mm-hmm. it's a very, it's almost a vitriolic thing in the watch community where people argue about watch sizes it, it's it's just as different as people's you know physical makeup. I mean, it's like right. saying that one height is better than another. It's just, it's just how you are. What are you going to complain <laughs> about? You know how you were born. It's the way you are. If, if a thirty-eight millimeter watch looks great on this person and a forty-five looks great on this person, it's just it, you know it's different flavors. So well, know it's, your size. It's, it's, know your size, and it's not always even anatomy. Sometimes it's just if you're just used to seeing something small on you. Everything that's a little bit bigger than that small thing is going to look huge, even though it probably looks great. And I think that's another thing that people don't fully understand is that just because the internet says it has to be a no date, 37 millimeter, whatever, that doesn't mean, I mean, quite frankly, I can't stand anything under, you know, 
38 or 39 millimeters. Like I wanted to, I wanted to feel like something on my wrist. And so for me, my sweet spot is kind of 42, 43. I'm actually wearing a 45 millimeter watch right now. Clutch those pearls, 45 millimeters. And the thing is, is, you know, this was, this was a piece that for a really, really long time, I just, I just thought it was too big. And I finally, uh, I actually was able to try it on a topper a few months ago. And I was just like, wow, this is way, this wears way more compact than all the YouTube videos that I'd seen and all the stuff that I'd read. Quite frankly, if you, if you follow the comments on Instagram, whatever this watch appears, what watch are we like, talking hey, about? this is a 50 fathoms, a plump pun 50 fathoms. Okay. And everybody on Instagram says, make it in 40, like make it in 40. We won't touch this until it's in 40, 45 is ridiculous. And they don't even know what they're talking about. They've never even worn the they watch. They don't know what they're talking about because of two really key measurements with this particular watch. And we're talking about the lug to lug, which is relatively short. So the lugs on this watch are small. And the other measurement is that on the 40 millimeter, this is just, this is purely perception, but on the 40 millimeter version, which Blancpain has made limited editions of throughout the years, the bezel is actually quite wide. And so on the 40 millimeter, the, the width of the bezel dwarfs proportionately the, the dial aperture. And so it makes the dial itself look even smaller. So Blancpain's 40 millimeter actually looks much smaller than a 40. Yeah, And true. for a lot of guys, it's just too small. And so the way the 45 wears, again, the bezel does kind of the same shrinking bit of the dial and it actually wears really, really well. And so it's this weird, you know, there are a lot of watches that are kind of a victim of um, these kind of funky proportions that you won't really fully know or appreciate until, until you try it. And oftentimes like, yeah, once you kind of know the math and, and you know, like what could work with your, with your wrist size, if you're comfortable with trying something that's not 38 millimeters, you know, I, I, um, I think there's a ton of amazing stuff out there for people to try. I want people to take this very seriously. When I say this, when it comes to the comments that people make online, because you're going to find people that love or hate every, any given thing, is nothing universally loved. <laughs> Take opinions with a serious grain of salt, almost in an amusing way. And facts are sprinkled in people's comments, right? Like you'll see wait, mostly opinion and comments, sometimes facts. A lot of times people also get the facts wrong. It's not that they're in mm -hmm. intending to do it. It's just this is a complicated area. There's a lot of nuances. So... It's important to see what other people think, but really, truly take it with a grain of salt. Okay, so size, that's, that's the place to start. Next, I think materials. And not just what materials you like, but the way things play with the light and the way that things are, are, are finished. And so you have metals and ceramics and various types of, of you know, plastics and things like that. Lots of different materials that make up watch cases. Everyone has preferences. Some people love the idea of a totally polished watch. Some people want something which is matte black. Know what these things look like in the light. So the more pictures you look at of that are, I'll call them, you know, just like, you know, street photography or just someone's natural shots, not doctored, not photoshopped. See how materials play with the light. See how things contrast. Do the hands look legible? Do, can you see the, the shape of the case well? Um, you know, is, is the polishing look of a high quality. Do your best to study how light plays with the surfaces of the watch to determine whether or not it will be visually appealing to you. Everybody knows what, what they like to mm -hmm. look at. Mm -hmm. And that's crucial. The marketing shots are going to be the worst at this because they play mm -hmm. with the light. It's <laughs> artificial. They remove things. I mean, look, a lot of watches that are shot for marketing purposes, they don't even have crystals on them. Okay, like... You can't take those with any type of, uh, of authority on what a watch is going to look like. So mm -hmm. thankfully, social media does have a lot of pictures of people wearing watches. A blog to watch has tens of thousands more of, of wrist shots and things like that. Study a lot of different pictures of the same watch. See the consistencies, inconsistencies. What you'll see sometimes is a fancy photo shoot will make a watch look fantastic but the other seven, you know, uh, pictures you see of it, <laughs> it looks like crap. So maybe that was just a really good, you know, uh, photography shoot. Be mindful of the fact that 
you know, we want washes to look nice. You know, a blog to watch is a shrine to celebrating washes. We want to take nice pictures and we don't feature watches that look terrible, you know, outside of our sh- our shoots. But there's plenty of times there'll be like a dress watch where in the in, in, in most daylight you can't even see the hands and we'll mm-hmm. we'll do it. We'll shoot it in a way where it's emphasized a little bit more. Legibility is very important to me. So I really make sure that I look at a watch and, and, and know how the materials play together. Now, I and you, Zach, have the benefit of years and years of seeing dials and knowing mm-hmm. how things work. So we can intuitively say, polished hands on a polished dial, yeah, that's probably not <laughs> going to work out too well. Other people don't necessarily know this, but if they look at the pictures and it's kind of hard to see the hands, it's probably even worse to see the hands in person. Mm-hmm. Well, that's one of the reasons why I go why I go straight to Instagram and look at the hashtags or see the brand tags because you tend to see a lot of really unflattering iPhone photos of that watch. And <laughs> yeah, while, the photos, while the photos are kind of terrible, you know, on an iPhone, let's, let's not forget that if you hold an iPhone over your wrist, it's going to, because it's a super wide lens, it's going to distort, even though you're holding it at a close distance, it actually distorts the watch a little bit. So I feel like an iPhone kind of creates a false depth of field. It doesn't really give you a good sense of the proportions in a lot of angles. That being said, it does, to your point, show you how those materials react to light. And oftentimes what you'll find is that a watch like the Tudor Pelagos, for example, um, this is a classic example, when, when Tudor switched from uh, using Etta-based movements to the in-house, the in-house movements added a millimeter and a half or something to the case back, imperceptibly changed the thickness of the watch. And the nerds on the forums lost their goddamn minds because of this millimeter and a half, you know, it was an already thick watch or whatever. But the thing with that watch, when, when you get it in your hand, there's not a single polished surface on it. The dial's matte, the hands are matte, the case slabs are matte. Everything is super matte. And a matte case combined with the titanium metal, the titanium case, which is super light, that watch disappears on the wrist. It's not constantly appearing out of the corner of your eye because it's picking up reflections. It just completely disappears. And so that watch, in my mind, wears a lot smaller than all of its specs would suggest. And so to your point, yes, the numbers are important, but it's really important to know what that watch is made of and what kind of you're getting out of those surfaces, because those are also going to impact the wearing experience. And if you got, you know, Breitling from the Schneider era, they were big, they were, they were unapologetically big, they wore big, and they were polished. And so those three elements you know, super big and blingy, lots of light, lots of surfaces. They wore way bigger than their specs suggested, and they were already quite large. So I yeah. think that was, you know, we can all agree, those were those were difficult watches uh, to, to wrap your head around during that era. I mean, look, I, I, I like you, I like the, 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 the Pelagos a lot, but the very fact that it is so matte is such a tool watch, that can take away from its ability to feel like a luxury item. It's a damn good watch, Absolutely. but it's Absolutely. it doesn't, you know, a little polish is a good thing. Now, you and I know that we like that because we've worn a bunch of watches and things like that. And so I think that people need to start asking themselves the question, do I want a little flashiness to my wrist? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Do I want something that is like, like you know, mi- has like a military level of precision to being functional? Like there's like you know, n- never, never even pretend like you're having a good time with it. Um, you know, these are, they sound silly, but, you know, watches are part of your psychological costume. They are designed to make you feel a particular way when you wear them. And that's really the key part of it. Again, like Zach said earlier, it's a bad idea to wear a watch to impress someone else. It's a good idea to wear a watch to impress you. And so sometimes, I, I sort of liken it to like when we're kids and we have like a toy or an action figure. And in a moment, we sort of push ourselves into that world of, of you know, that character. With watches, we wear a watch and then we actually become that character. You know, we wear mm. a dive watch and all of a sudden we're ready to go diving and we're thinking about, we're, we're thinking about that. We're wearing an aviator watch. We're feeling, you know, like we want to <laughs> soar over the skies and stuff like that. And maybe that sounds silly and cliche, but it is actually what's going on in our minds a lot. And so, you know, you have to remember that the watch is supposed to make you feel something positive about yourself. And if you're wearing a watch that makes someone else feel positive about who they are, what good Mm -hmm. is that doing you? Yep. I couldn't agree more. You know, and I tend to, I tend to gravitate towards, you know, seafaring or aquatic watches because they remind me of the ocean. They remind me of my happy place. They remind me of, 
you know, me as a child watching Cousteau films. I mean, they remind me of something very tangible. And I, you know, I've owned pilot watches over the years and I've appreciated them for various reasons, but I tend just to kind of in the back of my mind gravitate towards, you know, stuff that has kind of an aquatic twist to it. And, and you and I, I are think both it's, wearing it's a, dive watches right yeah, now. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> what are you wearing right now? Um, I actually forget the reference number. It's, it's, a, it's a Seiko spring drive. It's part of the Prospects LX collection. And this oh, is cool. the version, which is the black-coated titanium on the rubber oh, strap. Cool. So this is the most... I, I literally don't think I've ever worn a more understated $6,000 watch before. And that has, uh, that's the spring drive GMT movement. I mean, that's no, that's, no, this is just the three hand oh, one. So this is basically oh, okay, like okay. the new, they don't call it that, but the new generation Marine Master. Very, oh, right. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. Yep. And an, inc- yeah, an incredible so, watch. But again, super under, just the right amount of polish to like catch the eye. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. you'd have to be, you'd have to be the watch nerd to understand it. But this is a watch. Give it, it's, it's thick. It's kind of strange looking uh, in pictures. You know, you'd have to look at it on someone's wrist and be like, oh, that does wrap around the wrist a, a lot. Yeah, you know? so I, I want to say something specifically about that because I remember I was at Basel World when, when the press release for that came through. And I, I remember we were running to our appointment and I was flicking through my phone and I was, I was looking, I was reading the specs on my phone as I was about to go into the room to look at the watches. And I saw the specs and I was just like, who wears these? I mean, the, the specs make that watch sound very large. It's pretty thick. It's, you know, I have 44, 43, 45, something kind of in that realm. It might be but as soon as, 45, I, as, soon really as I put them on, you've got the, the designer of that watch is really notable. He, um, uh, he's famous Japanese, the name escapes me, famous Japanese designer worked on some I'm Ferrari impressed models. you even tried to remember his name. <laughs> anyway, that watch is so beautifully designed. So the way the way the mid case is sculpted, it actually hides it hides the thickness in the same way that uh, the Omega kind of Planet Ocean hides the thickness a little bit because the the mid case is sculpted and actually um, it drops away halfway you know towards the bottom half of the case. And also the lug to lug is short, and the way that the strap curves it curves directly down goes directly over your wrist. It wears really, really comfortably. I was shocked at how comfortable, and especially in titanium, they also wear really, really light. And so yeah. you know, that's another one of those perfect watches. And I love to say this is like another question, you know, buying it sight unseen, buying, you know, your first nice watch or whatever. Are you buying it for you or are you buying it for them? Who's this watch for? Is it for me or is it for someone else? Because I think if it's for someone else, if you're buying to impress, you're never going to be happy with what you've got. Never. So let's let's wrap this up because moving forward, people are going to be buying watches sight unseen more and not less. It's not just sort of, you know, pandemic time where you can't go into a store. The trend has been moving towards people buying watches online. Um, and to do that, they need to feel comfortable about making that decision. The brand themselves, if you only rely on their information, unfortunately, it's not going to lead you far enough. <laughs> you have to use a lot of external media. Again, we're, we're part of a blog to watch, so we're definitely going to promote our work. Um, but it's true that, you know, we don't see everything. We don't take every single type of shot out there. And so there's this amazing com- community out there. What are some final thoughts that you'll say on where this is going based upon what retailers are doing? Um, how is the process of buying a watch online, sight unseen, going to evolve over the next few years, you think? That's a great question. You know, I think, you know, the way people have been, and, and again, this is kind of gauging from some of the comments that we received on our story about the e-commerce experience. But when you look at, I mean, I, I think for the longest time, the Swiss watch industry just thought the internet was going to go away or the internet would never replace, um, you know, the boutique in-person experience. And I mean, even the CEO of Audemars Piguet famously said a few months ago that he could, you know, he doesn't need four walls to preserve that the AP experience, and um, he still hasn't still hasn't owned up to those words because I think they're still sort of sorting their things out a little bit. But you know, it, it's it's inevitable that it's going in this direction. And to me, the greatest luxury that we get is access to product and the saving of our own time. And that to me is true luxury. And so if I can enjoy a luxury product and retain. These other two things that are very important to me personally, and I think will continue to be more important for for other people as we kind of move forward. Um, I mean, this is the only way to go. And so how do we make this process easier? How is it more painless? I mean, I think our story is a great place to start in showing that the Swiss brands, 
you know, one example really stood out to me of the five brands um, that I worked with on, on the, of the five brands that I bought from on this story was uh, Chopard, where I, I went to the site and it, it felt to me like I was buying a, a hoodie or something from a really polished, very efficient site that pretty much it was just click, click, credit card information, buy, next day shipping. It was on my porch 24 hours later. And I mean, that to me is the epitome of luxury because I was, I was done in 10 minutes and then I was able to enjoy the unboxing experience, enjoy the watch on my wrist. I was, I was, the, I believe the package came with a prepaid returns label. So, you know, had I been an actual customer who was planning on keeping that watch, you know, I could have sat there with the label and, and kind of made my decision without the pressure of a salesperson. And I think that's so important. And for people who need a salesperson or need to talk to somebody or work through it, Chopard also has retailers. Omega has authorized dealers who are mom and pop jewelry stores who are still, still doing well um, during this pandemic. I mean, again, going back to the example of Topper Jewelers, um, you know, they, they retail a number of brands and they've got some of the, I mean, the salespeople are super friendly. If you just want to talk shop, call them up. I mean, if that's important to you in your experience and what you need from the luxury experience, maybe you don't buy directly from the brand. I think that's totally fine, but you, it's amazing that we have options now and all of those options can still deliver the watch to us on our doorstep and probably cover free returns, you know, for the next day. I mean, that's what a time to be alive. <laughs> no, it, it it is much better than it used to be. Um, I'll, I'll say this when I come when it comes to what I think is going to happen in the future. I do believe that the retailers, especially the brands themselves, are going to know that the personal touch is needed, even though it's online. They used to have this fantasy that e-commerce was like you know like an ATM for them. They just set up a website and people go there and buy watches, and they have to put in so much less effort than the store. That turned out to, of course, not be the case. And so what they realized is that they need to recreate much of the store style experience online. So what I think you're going to see a lot more of is being able to interact with someone, maybe during certain hours or set an appointment where you'll be able to do, you know, their equivalent of a Zoom call. Will there be a, a salesperson showing off the watches, able to show you stuff? You'll say, hey, turn it around, put it on the wrist, show me that one, mm-hmm, ask a mm-hmm. few questions. So I think there's going to be more either live opportunities to chat with them or pre-recorded videos or things like that. So I'm seeing more and more media coming directly from the brands uh, to help. I don't expect it to come very fast. I think the fastest Mm -hmm. thing is being able to speak to a salesperson remotely. Um, But there's definitely going to be more and more of an ability for people to, you know, sort of see something or at least have a salesperson handle it in front of them. And then I also think what's going to happen is there's going to be more and more incentives to purchase from watches directly from the brands themselves or from authorized dealers. These days, there's everything from the peer-to-peer marketplace that we began this discussion talking about, eBay, auctions, pre-owned, uh, the, the dirty word, which is gray market, which are the heavily <laughs> discounted watches. What brands are going to do to pull attention away from the lower prices is start to give more and more other benefits. There's going to be mm-hmm. gifts with purchase, uh, various types of VIP privileges, other, other, you know, you know, fringe benefits. Just a lot of little things they're going to try to throw in to sweeten the deal. That, you know, you get a little bit of that when you go into an authorized um, a dealer or notably a brand boutique. But I think that a lot of that's going to move online in order to pull people's attention away from the the traditional budget way of getting things. Guys like you and me, we're still going to like look for the deals on eBay and, and go peer to peer. But we represent the minority of consumers that has the specialization experience to know what we're doing. Mm-hmm. As Zach said, we don't really recommend people to go, you know, um, all gorilla on it and, you know, hunt through the jungle, which is the available options looking for the, <laughs> looking for the right kill. Don't do it unless you really know what you're doing. Because the danger is you make a mistake and it sours your, your appetite for buying watches anymore. And that's something Absolutely. that I think anyone should avoid. And I'll be honest, like I, I definitely do really enjoy the hunt. And I'm sure a lot of pretty seasoned collectors, especially in the vintage community, do really do enjoy the hunt. And um, you know, this is kind of a well-documented phenomenon amongst collectors of any type, whether it be watches or old cars or, you know, whatever that may be. Um, so I, I'm absolutely guilty of that. But I think I think those predictions for the future are absolutely spot on. And I think 
oftentimes, you know, the hunt is a time consuming thing. And oftentimes if you, if you really are after either a personalized experience, something that you're kind of predicting could be coming true, you know, we're seeing that at the, some of the smaller brands. So the experience that I had with Parmigiani was very similar to that. And I didn't, I didn't, I didn't zoom with a, a consultant by any means, but I actually probably could have, um, as I was purchasing the Tondograph GT. So I, after my purchase went through, um, probably not five or 10 minutes after I'd gotten the confirmation email saying the purchase was good and that they were about to dispatch it. I actually got a text message from their regional sales manager, um, who just introduced himself and wanted to know if I had any questions and, uh, that he was, he was available to chat. He sounded super friendly and he was kind of congratulatory about like, Hey, you're going to love this watch. This is the one that you got is my favorite reference. That's a nice. It was was funny because the the way he was talking about, he had no idea that, you know, this was, this was being purchased as kind of a secret shopper engagement. So it was quite cool to see him sort of authentically reach out. I mean, that's just part of their, that's just part of their process. Um, And after I'd returned the watch, I texted him back and kind of confessed what was going on with that. So I said, but you know, it was interesting to see that they, you know, Parmigiani is paying attention at that level. And I think if I had reached out on their website to inquire and say, um, you know, hey, I'm interested in this watch, but I'd love to get some more details on it. I probably would have gotten a phone call from this exact same gentleman who probably would have had the watch on his wrist or in his hand and, and could have walked me through it in the same manner. So I think those options are absolutely there. They're probably more common at the indie level. And it'd be very cool to your point to see those because I'd love to see like, some virtual try-on set up with Omega. I mean, who has hundreds of SKUs on their site? It'd be very cool to to be able to kind of you know pour a little pour a little whiskey and waste some time on their site trying stuff on. Um, Let's flash yeah. forward in our minds five years <laughs> to when augmented reality becomes even more a thing. And and I've actually seen it where you you hold up your phone using the camera to your wrist, and it it puts the watch on your wrist as though you were taking a wrist shot of it. Of course, there's no watch there, but this technology already exists. So there's going to be more and more ways to do your research. Um, We want people to feel comfortable buying watches sight unseen. Don't do it as a spur of the moment thing. Unless you're skilled like us, don't, don't get, uh, don't get inebriated one night and, and, and you know, <laughs> drunk shopping. It, it can be fun. We've all done it. But know what you're doing mm-hmm. first because, again, mm-hmm. we want people to buy multiple watches, not just one. And if you make a mistake the first time and you, you know, you're like, that was $10,000 I'll never see again. <laughs> we don't want that to be your experience. Yep. Thank you so much, Zach, for joining me on this superlative episode. Everyone out there, enjoy your watch hunting and your watch shopping. And we'll talk to you next time. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Superlative Podcast. Support the show by subscribing and rating it on your preferred podcast platform. For questions, comments, and ideas, please email the show at superlative at blog2watch.com. For the latest in watch news, reviews, and culture, visit blog2watch.com. Thank you for listening to the Believe Podcast Network. Do you believe?